Thank you for joining us for Working Through the Word, a ministry of the Richmond Church of Christ. Let's join our pulpit minister, Mike Johnson, as he brings today's lesson. We're all probably familiar with the scene. In a courtroom, when the bailiff comes and says, All rise, the honorable judge is presiding, and this court is in session. When that judge walks into the room, it's powerful. The judge represents authority. The judge represents the law. And throughout that trial, the judge's job, it seems to me, as I have been told, is to make sure not only that there is a fairness, but that each side follows things in the proper way. And that's why there will be times when there will be objections, and the judge will either accept them or not. Because the judge's job is to see to it that the situation takes place, that the hearing is done, and that people find out what the truth of that day really is. Jesus said, I am come to judge the world. Maybe we could say, all rise, the honorable judge Jesus has entered the courtroom, and this court is in session. You might turn your Bibles to John chapter 9 in the text that was read for us, and from that text we're going to see what I think are some interesting images of a courtroom scene. Jesus is, of course, our spiritual judge. And he said, I have come that I might judge the world. Now, tonight we're going to notice in John chapter 12 that Jesus said, I have not come to judge the world. Well, now that sounds like, on the front end, the contradiction. But, of course, we understand that God does not, Jesus, they do not contradict themselves. So what's going on here? I want us to understand today what Jesus means when he said, I came to judge, but I also did not come to judge. These are two more lessons in the continuing series for this year entitled, Why Did My Savior Come to Earth? Think with me, if you will, about the idea when Jesus said, I have come to judge the world. What does he mean? In the first place, let me suggest to you that this courtroom drama is not about establishing guilt or innocence before the judge. Jesus, the judge, already knows. And guilt or innocence has already been established. That's not what this courtroom scene is about. 
Because in fact, the innocence of the world has been lost. In that fateful event in the Garden of Eden, the innocence of the world was lost. Paul would write in Romans chapter 5 and in verse 12, So then by one man sin came into the world, and death through sin. So death has passed to all men. The world has lost its innocence. But every individual has also lost innocence. Personal innocence has been destroyed Even the psalmist would say in Psalm 53 and in verse 3, they have all gone away. Not one of them is righteous. Not one does good. No, not one. And Paul would echo that sentiment in Romans 3 and in verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Your innocence, my innocence, has been lost. But once innocence is lost, it can never be regained. It's not possible. Once something is broken, you might be able to repair it, but it is still that which has experienced being broken. When something is lost, it might be found, but it still has the experience of having been lost. Humans, we've lost our innocence. And though we can be retrieved, we all still face the reality of having been lost, of having our innocence shattered. Think about it this way, 1 Peter or 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul was writing about himself and he says, God counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I did it in ignorance, and God was gracious to me. And then he said, Jesus Christ has come into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Paul lost his innocence. He knew it. And even though he had been repaired, even though he was put into the ministry, even God said, I will give you a new place, he still felt the loss of his innocence. And any one of us, since we all have lost our innocence, there's not one of us who, though repaired, does not still feel that loss, does not still regret that past. I have a vivid memory of my son asking me one time, Dad, 
do you have any regrets? Well, the truth of the matter is you cannot be in tuned to life if you don't have any regrets whatsoever. Paul even said, I lived in all good conscience before God until this very hour. Acts 23 and verse 1. But he still remembered that he had persecuted Christians. And even though he did it thinking he was doing right, he still had the memory of innocence lost. We also need to remember that all guilt must be paid. Since all people have sinned, death is the result of sin. Romans 6 and verse 23. And therefore, since we are all lost We've all lost our innocence. We are all guilty. We all must have that guilt paid. But this courtroom scene is not about presenting evidence before the judge that the defendants are saved or lost, innocent or guilty, because the judge already knows. So what does Jesus mean? I have come into the world to judge. What does he mean? First of all, Jesus has come into the world as the judge. He already knows the guilt. He already knows the innocence. He already knows what's going on in the text. This courtroom drama is about revealing the answer to the defendants. The judge already knows. It's the defendants who do not know. So he said, I've come to judge. This word judge means a verdict. It could also mean a lawsuit, a case before the law, even a, a verdict that renders a condemnation. In other words, guilty. And the defendants don't know it yet. Therefore, Jesus said some things here in John 9 to some people that needed to hear them. Notice Jesus' words, verse 39. I have come to the world that those who do not see may see. John 9 is a story of Jesus meeting a man who had been born blind, been blind all of his life. And Jesus made him see again. Now the problem with this is he's doing all of these signs and all of these miracles and all of the Jewish leaders are really upset. 
probably because Jesus is getting more disciples after him than they are getting those to follow them. And so they called the man in and said, this person, this, this guy uh, that did this, who is he? Did he really do this? And the man said, yeah, he told me this is how I could be able to see again. Well, we know that he is a sinner. We are Moses' disciples, but I don't know about this guy. They made all kinds of statements, did these leaders, about disagreeing and trying to figure out. We see their mentality revealed in the book of Acts when they said, a great miracle has been done and we cannot deny it. So what can we do to keep them from talking about it? All this is, is a way of saying, we got to stop this. He's getting all kinds of converts. He's getting all kinds of people to follow him. We got to stop it. So they're trying to challenge the man. You really weren't blind, were you? And they called his parents in. And his parents said, well, he's old enough. You ask him. And so the blind man ended up coming back to Jesus. And notice the image. I have come to judge the world, verse 39, that those who do not see may see. Literally, it was true. He couldn't see, and now he could. But look what he said. Jesus asked him, do you believe in the Son of God? Who is he so that I can? And Jesus said, the one speaking to you is that one. Lord, I believe. He didn't just see physically. He now could see spiritually. So he took someone, Jesus did, who could not see and helped him to see. And here is the figure of this blind man, no longer blind, both either physically or spiritually. Jesus came to take people who can't see so that they can. But number two, Jesus came to take those who see so that they may be blind. This contrast in these people is stark. The Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, these leaders, they portrayed themselves to the people as we are the ones who can see. We're the ones who know. We're the ones who are gifted with the knowledge of God. We can see. In fact, Jesus said before his scathing remarks in Matthew 23, 
Everything the scribes and Pharisees tell you to do, do it. For they know. But they do not do. Don't follow their works. So the people thought of their leaders as the ones who could see. They thought of themselves as the ones who could see. And Jesus said, I've come so that I might make them blind. Verse 16, this man is not from God. He does not keep the Sabbath. At least their version of the Sabbath. Verse 16 or verse 18, the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight. So they called his parents in and they said, well, what about it? And they said, well, he's old enough. Let him talk for himself. He's of age. Ask him. Look at verse number 22. His parents said these things for the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed he was the Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. The Pharisees could not see, though they thought they could. They were blinded by their own arrogance. We know that he's a sinner. We know he doesn't keep the Sabbath. He is not from Moses. They thought they knew, but they were blinded by their own arrogance. The parents were blinded by their own aspirations. They might put us out of the synagogue. They might kick us out. Therefore, they didn't really answer the question. They simply said, you ask him because he knows he's old enough. He'll answer for himself. Jesus came to take those who cannot see to make them see, and those who see to make them blind. Jesus said, I came to judge the world. The judge already knew the verdict. But all of the defendants in this story needed to know the verdict. They needed to know what their stance before the judge was. They needed to hear where they stood. And everybody who read that story, heard about that story, needed to know. And his disciples were standing there. They too needed to know. Third. This courtroom drama continues today. Every one of us is in the courtroom right now. And every day we live, we are before the judge who already knows. But it's unfolding for us. We, like the defendants in this story, are defendants ourselves in the court. 
God knows, but I need to know. I need to be convinced. I need to hear the verdict. I need to feel the verdict. I need to wear the verdict so that I can be able to be what I ought to be. So this story continues. Here are, here is the instruction that the judge is giving to us. Here is what the judge in the opening instructions of every courtroom scene lays out the instructions for the day. And Jesus has laid them out for us. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you in darkness, how great is that darkness. Every day as our courtroom session opens before the Lord, his instruction to me is to say, what about your eye? Are you seeing properly? Do you see as I want you to see? Are you one who does not see but needs to see? Are you one who thinks that you see, but I need to show you that you are blind? What about your eye? And then, Peter gives us what I would suggest is the evidence presented in the courtroom drama every single day. Peter says, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things abound in you, they will make you neither to be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he who lacks these things is blindsided and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. This text is presented in our terms as add to. The language of the original actually says, in your faith, put virtue, in your virtue, Put knowledge in your knowledge. Put perseverance in your perseverance. Put self-control 
In your self-control, put godliness. In your godliness, put brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, put love. Every day, our courtroom session is played out in front of the judge of all the earth. And the evidence is presented. Am I today putting these things in my life? Or do I need to know that I am blind? There's a song that we don't sing much, but we sang it a lot when I was growing up. Open my eyes that I may see glimpses of truth thou hast for me. The song says, Lord, I want my eyes to be opened. I, I want you to judge me, helping me to know the verdict so that I can fix it. And in the places where I can be confident, I can rejoice in it. Jesus came to judge the world. Not to learn for himself, but to inform the defendants of their own innocence or guilt. As we close, I know this. If you're not a child of God, God knows that you are lost. God is sad that you are lost. Maybe you think you are saved, but if you're not a baptized believer, you are lost. And I don't want the gavel to come down on your final day pronouncing you lost for eternity. And if one here today needs further help to see better and more, we're here to pray for you. Will today be the day that the Lord's judgment comes into your life and you decide to do something about it? If we can help you. Our shepherds will meet you as we stand and sing. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast brought to you by the Richmond Church of Christ. We are located at 1500 Lancaster Road in Richmond, Kentucky. We meet on Sunday mornings for Bible class at 9 a.m., followed by our morning worship service held at 10 a.m. Our Sunday evening service is held at 6 p.m., and our midweek Bible study is held on Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you are in the area, we would love to have you as our honored guest. Thanks for listening.